Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 27th of January 2020. This last week has seen the market come to a kind of top stop there and it's having a very serious think about whether it wants to go up anymore or go down a bit. In our opinion, we've seen a big rally in the market, especially since Christmas. It's really come up from the 140x farm for December, which we thought was good, to 150x farm for sort of Jan Feb. That's £10 a tonne, that's a lot. And why is it up? It's up for other reasons, you know, next year's crop, lack of planting and a few issues around the world. So taking the figures of production, it doesn't stack up for the price of old crop wheat to be going up, in my opinion. So I think old crop wheat will take a breather and come back down a bit. There's no massive volume coming from farm for Jan and Feb, but as I've said before, there is a lot in the especially May book, but April, May, June, there is plenty of wheat bought. And although the consumers have got a lot to buy still, if I was them, I would hold my breath and wait because I think it will come at them. There is a lot of talk also about carrying old to new, which we've mentioned in the last few weeks. The price still isn't right for that to happen, but in farmers' minds, it is an option to them. So that will keep some of the grain off the market. But as I see it, I think spot wheat price may well hold to 150. But as we get towards May, I think the price for May will end up at 150. Currently, you'll make about 153x farm for it, although I'm told some people are paying more than that. Moving on to feed barley, May X farm 125X, somewhere just less than that in the months preceding it. So if you've got feed barley, they're still buyers. It's very cheap against wheat, I accept that. But it's, in fact, it's nearly a £30 discount. But it is what it is. That's the price. That's good relative to what most of the rest of the season has been. And we're seeing it trading uh, reasonably straightforwardly. There isn't that much feed barley out there to trade, but there isn't that many people who are going to be buying feed barley. The consumers are obviously trying to get as much feed barley into the ration as they can at a £30 discount to wheat. There's only so much they can put in there. So moving on to a more exciting commodity, which is oilseed rape. Old crop, 330 still stuck there. Webby's magic price. It's got all sorts of issues going on. There isn't that much to trade of it. There isn't much trade going on. It seems to be more to do with currency excitement as the pound has been firming this week, which is holding the price down, whilst the futures have been rallying. So it is a very volatile futures market on oil seeds at the moment. New crop rape has come off a bit, as much to do with currency firming, so currently 315 for harvest movement rape. We are, as you know, friendly to new crop rape. I think a publication called Oil World had the Europe crop has got probably for next year an extra 800,000 tonnes coming, but there is a smaller Ukrainian crop because they had problems with uh, development due to dry weather. So kind of one equals the other out. Therefore, supply and demand for next year is still reasonably tight. So um, our thoughts on that remain the same. 
The only other thing of note this week to mention, some of the rally recently has been put down to the French strike and the French getting their grain to port. I can't really believe that's true. I think they've got round it mostly. Uh, It's a bit of a weak story, that one. But, you know, hey, if that made the French go up and we followed them, then I guess if the French go back to work, then in theory that would mean that the price would come down in France and therefore put a bit of pressure on old crop wheat. And the only other thing of note or of, of notice to us is this week in this county, it's been dry for six and a half minutes and therefore sugar beet are getting lifted. And so people are getting on the land. There's wheat seed sales going on quite readily on a daily basis. So it seems that our prediction of wheat still going in whenever they get a half a chance is true. And people are coming and buying seed wheat. So as a preference, I think this is eating into the spring barley acreage. And I think it's bringing that crop from the 10 million tonnes we think is kind of predictably there at this point to the 12 million that we think it will just about be once they've finished all of their planting in the spring. So in this county, and I I assume some other counties, one or two people are getting on again. Despite it being slightly damp, it's not proper wet, so they're giving it a go. So here's hoping that uh, that whatever they put in the ground comes to something half decent and we've all got something to do next year, i.e. there's a yield of something to trade. Anyway, have a great week's trading and let's hope it stays dry a little longer. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single-variety, cold-pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This morning I've got with me Sam Steggles, who's an expert on goats. Morning. And I've got Webby with me just in case he feels like asking a question as well. Morning. So, um, Sam, talk me through your business, exactly what you're doing. So, Fielding Cottage started 10 years ago when Caroline, my wife, and I went on holiday and came home with 10 goats. So, you, you, went, on, uh, you went on holiday with your wife and you decided to bring home 10 goats. Is that like on the plane with you or...? We had William with us, so we had our three-month-old son with us. Right. We were in Cumbria, yeah. so there were no planes. We went on holiday. Um, we, we came home uh, having agreed to buy 10 goats from a, a lovely lady um, in, in Cumbria. And we then Did you went... you go with the goat idea in your head? We had the idea of, of goats in the background. If I, if I go back a step, Andrew, um, all I've wanted to, to do from the word dot is farm. Right. And... My grandfather on my father's side sold the farm when I was five years old. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to do it, I had to get off my backside and, and actually go and go and do it myself. So I kept looking at a, a route into to agriculture. I looked at um, aquaculture, growing fish, tilapia, the, yep. the yep. new cod replacement, but that needed a million pounds. Mm-hmm. I looked at anaerobic digestion and going and taking food waste from schools, hospitals, prisons, wherever there's a lot of a lot of people and turning that into electricity but again million pounds and this was all 10 plus years ago before it's it's as common as it is now and 
I kept coming back to the livestock side of things. The livestock was a passion. And then I saw on Country File something about goats and thought, well, this is interesting. And then my sister-in-law passed away at 25 years old. And that's really what gave me the, the kick up the backside to, to go and do it. What, because like, life's too short. Life's too short. You don't know what's around the corner. So if you're going to do something... Just get on and do it. And what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, you no, can absolutely. try and fail, but it's better to have tried and failed than not try at all. One, one life. We brought the goats home, October 2009. Then in You obviously had some sort of field to put them in. You no, we had no, nowhere. Caroline and I lived at Fielding Cottage. Mm-hmm. We had a, a little stable, and fortunately the neighbouring farmer had um, got out of pigs. Right. And I thought, I'll go and see him and see if I could rent his pig buildings. So I, I trundled up there and, and told him what I was thinking of doing. And my dream fell apart when he said no. He said, but I have got a redundant dairy that you can rent. Uh-huh. So the face started smiling again and um, and off we went to look at this dairy. The next thing we knew, we'd built a milking parlour out of baler twine and pallets. And we were we were farming. So my dream had been realised. Well, that's good. Now that there's one thing doing that. And stroking the goats every morning or milking them or whatever you're doing. You know, does it start with you going out there with your 10 goats? It's exactly how it started. Um, my brother and I would milk the goats in the morning, then go to do our, our day jobs, then come home, milk the goats in the evening. What was your day job? So I had a, a job selling poultry equipment across okay. East Anglia, and then we would come home and make cheese through the night and then repeat. So you start milking goats and you have several pails full of um, old old time talk there, a big tank full of goat's milk, right? And you look at that, what do you do next? No, it's, uh, it's certainly the old time talk that we were we were into then. When we started, we couldn't afford the, the bulk milk tanks, so we had exactly that, some white plastic buckets, 10 litres in a, in a bucket, and we had a row of domestic fridges like you'd find in your, your kitchen. Okay. And they were our bulk tanks, so we put the milk through a muslin yep. into, the, uh, into the bucket, and into the fridge, yep. and that was our bulk tank. Then once we'd got about 100 litres, 150 litres, we'd turn it into cheese. Just for the record, I, I have experience in this, in this area. My dad had um, Jersey cows, and in 1985 he was in the EDP when they were trying to ban green top milk, and as luck would have it, he decided to have a car accident that year, and I ended up going to work first thing in the morning and last thing at night milking the, the Jersey cow, and you know, cleaning the milk up, putting it through a separator, sorting out the cream putting it in fridges, uh, all of that, without bulk tanks. It is quite arduous, isn't it? It is, but I, I, my parents bought me a Jersey cow for Christmas, actually, when <laughs> I was 12 years old. As you do. And then I would go and hand milk milk Sophie before school. Ah, ours was called Trudy. Uh, Trudy the house cow. Sell the milk to mum and then eat it on my cornflakes before school. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, Jersey cream on porridge. Delicious. No wonder my cholesterol's whatever it is, yeah. But I miss it so. <laughs> so goats, you you got fridges, you got pails, you still got a product. You need customers. What did you do? We need customers. Yeah, we started making some cheese. We then took it to Dis Farmers Market, fourteenth of August two thousand and nine. We sold our first piece of cheese. Okay. Now cheese making. You you read a book on cheese making. Thought I've got milk. I need to make cheese. In a word, yes. I, I went on a three-day cheesemaking course on the Isle of Skye, mm-hmm. learned how to make a, a feta-type cheese, mm-hmm. 
and then came back and put it into practice in our, our cheese-making facility, which is a shipping container, 20 foot long, 8 foot wide, and we had it delivered after the, the Norfolk show. So you, you bought that, you, you started making cheese in there, you must have like chucked loads out before you got to the point of... Oh, we, we got rid of quite, quite a lot, yeah. So you find a product and you've got enough people who are being honest with you saying, yes, that's nice, because obviously everyone's like, oh, that's lovely, Sam. But Absolutely, yeah. So people were, people were saying it was nice, in particular family and friends, thought, but we thought they were just being, being nice. polite, yeah. So we then went to Dis Farmer's Market, looked in the back of the EDP, saw which Farmer's Market was, was next, mm-hmm. went and bought ourselves a, a table and a gazebo, and off we went, trundled down to, to Dis and started selling our cheese. Fortunately, we sold out, Yeah, came home, made some more, looked in the back of the paper and booked up the next farmer's market for, for the following week. Brilliant. Carried on. And then you thought, I need to diversify. There's, the sales of this is one thing, but I, you know there needs to be more value added because you've got more than one product now, haven't you? We have four cheeses that we, we make, two in particular ones, Norfolk Mardler, which is our our yellow waxed cheese with the, the big green logo on the front, so supporting the Canaries. Mm-hmm. And Wensom White is the other big seller, the popular one, which is a, a goat's milk brie. You've brought two cheeses in with you today, so when we get to the beer bit, we'll, uh, we're going to do a cheese and beer test. Absolutely. That's right with you. And we've got to say how nice it is, haven't we, like every food programme. I always think, wouldn't it be great if someone went, oh, that's disgusting. Well, I'm biased, but we'll get your <laughs> honest opinion. Well, Webby will eat anything and doesn't really taste it. So, But, yeah, no, we'll, we're going to give that a very honest attempt uh, in a minute or two. One thing strikes me, you know, the bare boards you started from and the dream, if you like. You know, what, what advice would you have to a farmer out there or someone out in the rural community who, who equally has that dream and perhaps can't see the opportunity at the moment? What advice would you give anyone to kind of make it happen like you did? Don't give up. Follow your dream. And just keep that end goal there. And if you keep thinking about it, you, you will succeed. Don't take no for an answer. It's great. And I really, really enjoy it. And if do, you, do you still make the cheese yourself? Are you the, the cheese man? So I have a very, very good team of people around me now. And that's what I've really built the business on is having the right people. And that's really, really important in any business. My job really at the moment is to build the business, get the extra orders, look at how we can improve efficiencies and, and keep pushing forward and looking at other projects as well. So where can you find this, before we go on the other projects, where can we find your cheese? So our cheeses are available in most of the, the farm shops locally, mm-hmm. also available in some of the supermarkets. So we supply Waitrose, Morrison's, Lidl, and if you're fortunate... Is that, is that national with Waitrose or is it just um, Waitrose and Morrisons are, are locally at the moment. Mm-hmm. We're looking to, to push that out. Little is national. We do booths, which is sort of Waitrose of the north, if you like. Mm-hmm. And we've just done some other deals with some of the other supermarkets, which should go live later later this spring. I mean, that's, that's uh, it's very, very difficult to get into a supermarket. You know, we've got an involvement with, with Crush Altied Rape, and we're involved in some local ones, but it's very hard to get national. I mean, that's, that's amazing. It's very hard to get in, and I think it's probably even harder to stay in. Yeah. They just make it tougher, or they negotiate you down, or they think you, you're relying on them? Or I think it's all to do with a mix of things, but it, probably the, the biggest thing is they want to see the product going off the shelf. So you've got to get that rate of sale. Mm. And if you don't achieve the rate of sale, then you're getting too much waste and then you're, you're delisted. But you do get the volume. If yeah. you're at a farmer's market and it's pouring with rain, 
yeah. everybody goes to the supermarket. If it's really sunny, everybody goes to the beach. Talking about volume, I mean, from the first farmer's market that you're doing and to get to that now, what your volume must be significantly different. What, what do you... Do you mind talking about your numbers? No, sure. When we started, we were making little Ellinghams, which are about 100 grams each. So we would be doing about... 100 a week so sort of 10 kilos a, a week okay now we're making a ton of cheese a week minimum wow. and it's it's set to grow over the next uh, the next 12 months plus mm. the plans are in place there last year we did about 50 tons of of cheese and that conversion from you're talking about you you know your pail and your row of fridge freezers to probably where you are now i mean that's a hell of a jump obviously in terms of machinery I mean, how have you done? Did you do that in a hit or have you kind of had a plan and you've, you've phased yourself into it? No, it's been phased in gradually, but then with big leaps at certain times. So we went from the 180 litre cheese vat and the shipping container. We then built purpose-built facility at, at Honningham, where we are now. But we did that and bought a 1,000 litre cheese vat and a continuous flow pasteuriser. But none of that would have been possible without our loyal customers continuing to buy the cheese, but also the help of the leader grant projects and Agritech East and, and the like. Okay, grants. We've had a, a few experiences with grants, but I mean, have they been really available within the sector then? Have you, has that been um, a real assistance to your business then? We wouldn't be where we are today without them. For us, they've achieved what they were meant to uh, to achieve. But equally, you have to jump through a, a lot of hoops. And I think that you need to have a strong relationship with your bank to yeah, finance course, yeah. the money yeah. before you can claim it back. So, yeah, grants have been very important to us in the development of our business. We've been very, very fortunate that the leader project has supported us immensely and we can't thank them enough for that as have agritech east but they're all now coming to a, an end or have finished so there will be a new era of funding from somewhere so it just remains to be seen what what's available indeed lots of people fighting for that cash on the subject of you know one of your diversifications you've got holidays that are linked to cheese making so you and you you offer courses in that so so what's the appeal for that a few years ago we had um, quite a, an interest of people that were asking us to teach them how to make cheese when the dairy industry was on its knees so we thought there's nobody locally really offering this service so we set about developing a little course and that course is now proving very popular but in order to do that we needed some classrooms to to teach it in along with accommodation for people to stay in because the cheese making process isn't a, a two or three hour job it, it's days so in order to do it properly we needed to to build the accommodation block otherwise we were putting people in the the pub or, or the bed and breakfast down okay, the road so they, they come in and you, you you say right let's start this process get them drunk the first evening get them up the next morning we start with the the milk already pasteurized Okay. So they come in and, and it is purely um, cheese making. But the, the course that's proving most popular at the moment is a, a condensed course for one day, mm-hmm. which people will come on and will make a, a very soft cheese and then a, a sort of a washed rind cheese, not that dissimilar to our Norfolk Mardler, which we'll, we'll try in a little while. They tend to be people that uh, have an interest in, in food, cooking, where their food comes from or how it's made, more than people that 
wanting to go and do it as a, a business or yeah. a diversification. I, I, that's very much a, a thing of interest that's growing, isn't it? You know, pr- provenance of food, where does it come from, what is it actually made of, and after that, they're much more likely to carry on buying your product or being more focused on buying local product. Correct, yeah, 100%. Is that the word experiential tourism? Yeah, so people people are wanting to, to come and try new experiences whilst they're there. So it's proving really, really popular. You should come and try one, I, Andrew. I, I, you know, I, yeah, you should have a dewing so. gain, um, team building, cheese making course, and we'd even offer you a discount. <clears throat> okay, thank you. I'm itching to crack the, the Monty Python, blessed are the cheese makers. Yes. He yes. doesn't mean cheese makers, he means general producers of dairy products. That is for old people who think that's funny. There's another side product, isn't there? There's, there's a skincare issue, I understand. Yeah, we have a product that we make that, that is great for eczema and psoriasis sufferers. So it's just a, a hand and body lotion and a bar of soap, really. And go, and it's the goat's... Goat's milk, milk in there, yeah, the Caprilac, the, the goat's milk is uh, beneficial. Well, Cleopatra used to bathe in baths of, of goat's milk. Did she know? Do you see that product taking off? Yeah, we we have good sales on on that, but we've devoted more time to cheese. And if we devote a bit more time to the the skincare range, then yeah, that's that's good growth. You recently have been approved as a Nuffield Scholar. We've you our second uh, recent approved Nuffield Scholar in a in a very short space of time. Congratulations for that. That's Thank you. A tough call. Well done. So you're about to go. Well, let's talk about going to China first. We, you know, you, you, as, as part of your trip, obviously, with what's going on with the, uh, the the virus, the coronavirus, I guess you've got to stop and think about that one. Absolutely. So my Nuffield is on food business growth. So I wish to go and look at how food businesses have grown successfully with a particular emphasis on people and building that team of people around you and having the, the right people. So I, I plan to go to Australia, New Zealand, South Africa and China. And as you've said, a recent outbreak in China has um, got me thinking whether it's the, yeah. the right thing to I'd do. i avoid that one at the moment, but, I think, until we see. Yeah, I, I'm not planning on going to China just yet, but we'll have to take a, a rain check on that and, and maybe move to Japan or something. When you're off, you know, in your, in your plan, you obviously you, you, you have a very integral part in, in your business. You've got a very good team behind you. You're going to be missing for, I don't know, four or five weeks or two or three months or uh, how long does it take? I fly out of here on the 8th of March mm-hmm. to Australia where I have the Contemporary Scholars Conference a few days later in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And then I arrive home having studied in Australia and New Zealand and possibly some time in Tasmania as well. I then arrive home at the beginning of May, so I'm away for, for about nine weeks. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go again to South Africa and, and hopefully China later on in the in the year or early part of next year, this time next year. So who's in charge while you're away? We've got a very, very good team. The guys know what they're doing at home. They're more than capable and they'll, they'll make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's good. the I mean, that's, that's good as confidence i've got total confidence in in them they're they're brilliant i couldn't leave this lot alone they're like yeah <laughs> whatever would happen next <laughs> ian is laughing not crying just in case <laughs> <laughs> so how do you expect to extract that information from someone that's that i'd be very nervous and shy about it you go up and you go excuse me sir how did you do it from here on you know i've got this business this size you've got this 17th factory it's what how, How do you do it? Yeah. Yep. Well, that's, that's, that's the question. That's the question. And that's the question I'm going to ask and probably put it 
as boldly as that. The thing with Nuffield is that, it, and we've been told this time and time again, that doors swing open. People want to talk to you, they want to speak with you, they want to share their, their experiences, positive and negative. And I think I'm going to learn a lot from people that have been there, done that, and made the mistakes, because yeah. it's important to learn from your, your mistakes. You can't actually get anywhere without making a few of those. And if you say you haven't made them, then you're a fibber. Absolutely. 100%. So, Sam, I'm sitting in front of these two cheeses that you've really kindly brought in. They look, well, they're pretty coolly packaged. I like your logo. So if we're going to taste which one, which one do you want us to start on? So and just, then we can chat through it as I hack into them. Just on the logo, that came as a packet of fish and chips and a can of beer around the kitchen table one night. So going back to your earlier comments about, you know, how do you do it? You just have a go. Which one are we going to try first? What, what, what? I think we go Norfolk Mardler first, which is the yellow and green. That was actually voted best vegetarian cheese in the country last year. Now, this is this, this is the food programme bit where you go, mm. anyway, here we go, I'm going to stuff it in. It's nice, everybody. I'm going to have another bit. It really is delicious. Ghost cheese never really comes at the top of my list when I think about cheeses, but actually it's really, it is quite smooth and it's, that's quite Moorish. Actually, thinking back, I remember I had a um, the Alsham show a couple of years ago, which we talked about in the past. We have a stand, but we were across the aisle from you a couple of years ago, and I was slightly hungover, and I was standing on the aisle, and we I came and found you, and had one of your burgers that had a cheese on the top, which I think is this one. It's here, the next it? one we're going to try. Yeah, yeah. some white. It might have something to do with a hangover, but that was the best burger that I've had to date. Probably the cheese. That is really nice cheese. I've got to tell you. The Norwich City coloured cheese, which is your... Norfolk Mardler. Norfolk Mardler is lovely. Try some. You will be pleasantly surprised. Ian is now having the rest of the... <laughs> He's just stuffing it in his face. He couldn't write it, honestly. Right, I'll open the other cheese and keep it away from Ian for a minute. So here we go, the moment of truth. The texture's completely different, just seeing that. The, the first one, the Mardler here, is a very... It's, it looks very smooth. It's very firm and smooth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is, yeah. Almost cheddar. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. More matured, nicer, more refined. I would say if I um, prefer the Mardler, I think, if I was to have a, a one Have a two. preference. As it gets older, it will go gooey towards the, that, more towards this, the centre. This is the sort of cheese that you toast on top of... Grilling a, on top of a mushroom yeah, or... Yeah, or, exactly. yeah, it's, it's, yeah. And it's that, that when you go to a, to a posh restaurant, it's going to have your cheese. That is the one. I love that taste when they're, when it's it's heated to the point of being liquid and just... That's love, it. It's really... Yeah, that's... that's that's good cheese as well. You, you're, you're a good cheese maker, Sam. We try our best. It's taken a long time and a lot of wasted cheese or milk. But Norfolk Mardler, you know, we've been making that cheese for for maybe eight years now. So we, we think we, we understand what we're doing. I think these cheeses, um, if you've got enough customers to absorb what you're making, you could, you know, the next one is to make, make a mouldy one, isn't it? Obviously. We might start making a blue one, but if we make a, a blue one, then what we don't want to do is have our white one to turn I blue. I the wrong word there. Did I call it mouldy and really it was blue? No, no, no. It's, it's mouldy's good. <laughs> You've got a base product that's got lots of flavour already, so um, get the right culture in there on top. Yeah, but you need more goat's milk and more... We need the people, the customers to, to continue to, to buy it, and then we'll, uh, we'll then develop what the market wants. See, this product... If it really took off, you go around the world with Nuffield and you find out all this stuff and you know what to do and you go for it and the product keeps selling, you're going to have a boom moment where Honningham isn't big enough, isn't it? You're going to have to be 
in a factory and you're going to have lots of people and it's it's a really big step. It's an exciting future. Wow. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you've got the product. Thank you. I think we're at that place, aren't we? We've got, uh, we've, we've done, we're really cultured. 2020, the cheese test as opposed to the beer test, isn't that? Aren't we grown up, Ian? Makes a really pleasant change from having to drink a beer at sort of uh, yeah, nine o'clock on a Friday morning. Things I put you through. Anyway, <laughs> Sam, thank you so much for A, bringing in your cheese, but B, for being so uh, so open and, and helping us Philistines understand the dynamics of cheese making. But no, thanks very much for your time and good luck with your Nuffield Scholarship. Thank you very much. I'll come back and tell you what I found afterwards. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Dewing Grain Podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 